Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody. Man, what a what a song, right? You get you get the glory, you get the glory, you get the glory. I sure hope uh, that's why you're here this morning. Man, I, I I really hope you're not here to hear me. What a sad morning that would be. Uh, hey, let's let's pray. Let's pray together again uh, that He would get the glory and. Um, that the Spirit would communicate. Let's pray. Father, we, we love you and need you. God, we are listening this morning. God, when we open uh, the word that you have given us, this gift, uh, we actually expect something to happen. Not from the words of a man, but from your words, God, that your word through your spirit can transform. And so, God, this, this morning our commitment is to give you the glory. May all the glory be yours. God, change us. Make us look more like Jesus because of our time together today. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your body. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning, uh, if you have your Bible, uh, you can turn to Ephesians 4. It's where we're going to sit for really most of the morning. So uh, if you're just joining us or you haven't been around in just a little while, uh, again, welcome. And uh, we have been walking through a series uh, called Welcome to Church, and it is about commitments to what it looks like to be a member, a committed person here at Exchange Church. And so if you are just visiting or you're kind of checking this out or visiting uh, family or something, we hope that all the content that we provide here on Sunday mornings can, can really challenge you, even if you don't uh, live here or, or you uh, attend another church. So we hope that uh, this content can challenge you and maybe even help spur you on in the place that you do uh, worship. But uh, if you look in the Church Center app, uh, there's a little tag there that says uh, sermon notes. And so if you click on that, uh, all the notes will be right there for you this morning, all the scriptures and stuff. But uh, I really recommend uh, that you have a Bible with you this morning, whether that's a physical copy or um, on your device. Uh, we're going to be scrolling a lot uh, and we're going to be in here most of the morning. And so uh, I really want this to become a dear, dear friend to you. Uh, maybe you um, set out in 2023 for this to become something that you cherished, and maybe that didn't quite play out the way that you hoped. Man, there is no better day than today to start. This is an unbelievable gift that he has given us. And so we're going to be in here today and just allowing it to shape and form us. We're in uh, Ephesians 4. So as I said, we're talking through commitments of, of the church. Last week, Brian preached a phenomenal sermon on the idea of protecting the unity and health of exchange. So that's commitment number three, is we are committed to protecting the unity and health of exchange. And so I'm, I'm going to preach kind of the second half of that. I'm going to sit sort of in a little bit where he was and sort of expound a little bit and give us some practical help on how to do that, how to protect the unity and health of exchange. Ephesians 4, let's get started. This is Paul speaking to the church at the saints at Ephesus. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, 
urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. There is so much in this six verses. We could literally do a sermon series on these six verses. Um, but it starts, Paul says, I therefore. And so you reach kind of this climax, pivotal sort of fulcrum point of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians and Ephesians 4. And so we've had three chapters that have gotten us up to this point. And Paul, whenever in, in Scripture it says, therefore, it begs the question, what is the therefore, therefore? And the therefore right here is because of all that I have said in chapter 1, 2, and 3. Chapter 1, 2, and 3 in the book of Ephesians is basically a lot of theology. It's a lot of theology telling us what is most true about the universe, what is most true about us, what is most true about the gospel. And then Paul gets to Verse, uh, to chapter four, and he says, I there, because of all the stuff that I told you, it's almost like this bow and arrow where he's like, I've been pulling that thing back for three chapters, and I'm about to just fling it and say, and now do something about this. So it kind of helps us to know what chapter one, two, and three are about. I just want you to almost drown in this this morning. We're just going to run through chapter 1, 2, 3 as quickly as I possibly can. I want you to just feel the weight and the truth of all that is in chapter 1 through 3. So if you are ready, um, if you have your Bible with you, look at Ephesians 1. I'm just going to start reading. I'm going to call out some verses. And I just want you to listen to the language here. This is everything that's leading up to the therefore. Okay, before he tells us how we ought to live together, he's saying, no, this is true about you. Ephesians 1 verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him. He chose us. You know you. He chose us. That's crazy. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world, so that, this is the purpose, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption. When we didn't have a family, when we didn't have a people, he adopts us into something. As sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished, this, is, this word of abundance, he lavished upon us these riches of his grace. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. To do what? To unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained what? An inheritance. <laughs> Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things, not just some things, all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his 
glory jumping down a little bit further. He talks about the Holy Spirit, verse 14. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it? To the praise of his glory, to him be the glory. And he offers this incredible prayer. So he's saying all these truths about what has happened to us. So us in unity as a church, we, we say we are a people that something has happened to. What brings us together, what unifies us is something has happened to us. Something has been, something true has happened to us. It's not something that we have collectively done. It's something that has happened to us from an outside source that is way greater than us. That's how we begin this conversation about unity. I just... I feel like I'm just reading the whole thing. Uh, let's get on to verse 22. Uh, he says, And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head Christ, as head over all things to the church. So Christ is the head of the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Ephesians 1, you could just spend so much time there. Jump into Ephesians 2. This is the gospel. This is the essence of the gospel. And you were dead. He's talking about you, me, every person in this room. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So we were walking in this. This is how we chose to live. We were following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. So we were literally following the devil. This this is what scripture says about us. We were devil followers. We were worshiping him as Lord. He was our leader. We were following him. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And were by nature, this was our essence, this is who we were, we were by nature children of wrath with no hope, destined for destruction. Like the rest of mankind, verse 4, but God. Not because we were so lovable. Not because he looked at us and said, aren't they just adorable? I gotta have them like a little puppy dog I'm trying to rescue from the kennel. No, because of who he is. But God being rich in mercy, because he is loving, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he literally pumped life into our heart and gave breath into our lungs. He made us alive together with Christ. This is our story. This is our story as a people. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that, what's the purpose of my life? So that, if you have a pen, circle the so that's in Scripture. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. We are his workmanship, his poem, his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. We're transformed by him. He gives life to us. And then he says, now be conformed. Be conformed to the person of Christ. Jumping down to verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So we were not at peace. 
and he brought us together in peace. He's talking here about the Gentiles. So they were outside, and he puts them on the inside by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens. This is what's true about us, exchange. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into something or growing into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That's an entire like month's worth of sermons right, right, right there, the concept of being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit, that the Spirit now dwells in us. We as a people, as the body of Christ, are now this dwelling place for the Spirit. Chapter 3, verse 7, of this gospel, this is Paul, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles, this is the message, the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who creates all things, so that through the church, we talked about this in week, week one of this sermon series, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So that you've got this picture of the church is literally a witness of the manifold wisdom of God. We are the billboard to the world of the manifold wisdom of God. And then Paul offers this unbelievable prayer at the end of uh, chapter 3, and I'll just read it. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length, and height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, to know that which you can't know, to know the love of Christ that, per- that surpasses knowledge, that purpose, again, you may be filled with the fullness of God. Man, don't you want that? Don't you want to be filled with the fullness of God? Now to him, we sang this this morning, we just sang this song, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ through Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Therefore, therefore. So everything that has led up chapter one, two, Three, all those truths about what is most true about us and about the church and about reality. He says, therefore, because this is true, now I'm, I'm going to urge you to live a certain way. So us as a church, we enter in this space. We say like, so because of what is most true about us, now we want to know how do we do it? How does theology then become practice? How does creed become conduct? Right? In verse 4. I mean, in chapter four, tells us how to do that. 
Okay, and so it's going to give us a manner and a way in which we live based on chapters 1 through 3. It says, I therefore a prisoner of the Lord. This is Paul. He's in prison, right? And Paul is saying, I'm a prisoner. I can't do these things right now. I'm literally in prison. So I'm telling you, go do this. Go do this and do it in a certain way. Do it in a way that is winsome and that is humble, and that is gentle, and that is patient, and is bearing with one another in love. We're going to talk about three things this morning. We protect unity and health by our posture. That's number one. We protect the unity and health by being peacemakers. And we protect the unity and health by putting first things first. Okay? So number one. We protect the unity and health by our posture. Unity begins, as Brian and I have both mentioned all throughout this series, it all begins with postures of, of the heart, right? All of this interaction as a church and, um, con- and, and con- conflict resolution and all those kinds of things, it all begins with a posture of the heart. Sub- submission, it all begins with a posture of the heart. And Paul gives us this. He's saying, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. The calling that he just talked about, again, in chapter 1 through 3, this is the calling. And now that you know that is what's most true about you, walk it out in a certain way. And that way happens to look just like Jesus. Let's do it with all humility and gentleness, with patience and bearing with one another in love. So if you ever wonder, am I on the right path? Am I walking in the right way? Here are the filters. Is there humility? Is there gentleness? Am I being patient? Am I bearing with one another in love? So we protect unity and the health of our church by this posture. And Jesus even even said, I'm gentle and what? I'm gentle and lowly in heart. It's the only time Jesus ever describes the condition or like the, the adjectives for his heart. Only time he ever gives us that. And what he chooses to say in that moment is I am gentle and lowly. And so it's no surprise that Paul here is saying, do likewise. Be a people who are gentle and humble and patient, not short-tempered, but long-tempered with each other. Jesus has been incredibly patient with you, hasn't he? Hasn't he? Yes. He has been unbelievably patient with me this morning. Like, I can't believe how patient he has been with me. And so we as a people, we like Christ, we be patient with each other. We say, you know what? I get it. My posture is going to be like, okay, I'm going to be humble and be gentle. I'm just going to be patient with you. We as a people, we're in this thing for the long game together. We've got to learn to be patient together. Number two, we, we protect unity and health by being peacemakers. Verse three, verse three says, so you do it in this way in verse two. Then there's this uh, in, in, um, interesting little phrase here, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So eager, there's this eagerness to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That word eager really means like this intense effort and labor involved in making a trip or a journey. So it's this intense effort of I'm going to make every effort. I'm going to make every effort in every single situation, every single moment 
to maintain the bond of peace. Now, the bond of peace, which we already read back in Ephesians 2.14, is for Christ, right? For, for he himself is our, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So we have this bond of peace that has already happened to us. So in a sense, Paul is not saying, go create peace among yourself. What he's actually saying is, maintain the peace that is already true about you. Does that make sense? So chapters 1 through 3 matter here. It's saying something has already been stated as true of you as a people. You have been given this peace together through the gospel and through your salvation. Now maintain that at all cost. That is what is at stake here. It's not just can we be friends? Do we like each other? No. What's at stake here is maintaining the bond of peace that God has accomplished for us. So continue to maintain that which God has accomplished for us. And so being a peacemaker uh, is, can be very challenging, right? And there's a lot of practicals to this. Being a peacemaker, peacemakers don't pretend that everything is okay when it's not. Right? If you're a peacemaker, you don't just say, like, oh, it'll be all right. You're a peacemaker, you're, you're heading into the conflict, and you're honest, and you're willing to risk um, willing to risk pain and willing to risk that difficulty of reconciliation. And so uh, a couple of things just on co- conflict resolution. We talked about this last, last week, and um, here's, here's what we know about conflict, right? So he's saying, again, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. So the problem is we are sinful people, right? Uh, the, the biggest enemy to your marriage is you, the biggest enemy to the church is you. The biggest problem in this world is me. And so we know that in conflict, conflict is happening because it's a bunch of us together, a bunch of jagged rocks that are bumping up against each other, right? And so um, the conflict, we learn, we know a, cu- a couple of things about conflict. Conflict is always an opportunity, right? Conflict is not something to be avoided but conflict is uh, always going to be there, and it's always an opportunity. It's an opportunity for us to see what we actually value, right? There's nothing like conflict that will show you what you actually value. Let me give um, a little bit of a picture here. It's kind of like when you fly into certain cities and you see a skyline, right? And there's certain buildings that kind of mark certain cities. If we were flying and we saw like the Eiffel Tower, we would be flying into... Okay, if we were flying in and we saw like the Statue of Liberty, we're flying into your city. So there are certain things that mark certain cities, right? And so the way I've always thought about this is I like to think of it in terms like value city. All of us have like a skyline, right? There are certain buildings that are higher than others. But for us, those buildings, those things that we value, they kind of shift at certain times. And in conflict, sometimes there's these certain buildings that rise up really, really high, And if somebody were to fly into your skyline, into your city, what would they say that person values based on the highest building? And so conflict gives us this opportunity to fly into our own city and say, what are the things that this is like stirring up? And what is this? What are the things this is stirring up in the other person? Man, and that's not, maybe it's not intentional, but it's just like, that's what I really actually value. I know what I say I value. But in conflict, it's like I can't deny that that is the tallest building on my skyline. And so 
It gives us an opportunity to just see our misplaced skyscrapers and just our skyline that's just funky and messed up. So a couple, two, two, two points on peacemaking, okay, before we move on. Uh, kind of to bounce off of Brian's sermon last week about stirring up strife and those kinds of things. There's really two kinds of conflict. There's, there's the kind that doesn't really involve you, but you find yourself in. And then there's the conflict that really involves you, and you're in it, maybe because of you or um, because of somebody else, and you're involved in that. And so first, let's talk about the, con- the conflict that doesn't really involve you, but you get included or you're including yourself maybe when you shouldn't. And a lot of times this happens, Brian talked about this, this last week, when we talk about stirring up strife or divisiveness. And divisiveness basically is, I would say, it is like a conversation that somebody brings to you that causes you to look at or think of someone differently. Okay, that person is, is lobbying in order to gain favor, in order to, to win. All right, and so... This is a stirring up strife. It's like, man, there's no unity there. There's no peace there. But this is a conversation that I have been brought into. And how am I supposed to respond to this conflict where there's divisiveness? Okay, how can I protect the unity and health of exchange and the bond of peace that Christ has already established for us? A couple little practical tips here. Brian mentioned some of these last week, but I want to double down on them. How to respond when someone seems to be stirring up division or strife. Okay, it's just practical family matters for us as a church. I think there are certain phrases that we can use, um, and these are really hard to use. <laughs> these are really challenging uh, because those are, those are moments that you didn't really ask to be in, but you, are, you have proven yourself as a like, kind of safe ear to listen, and that might be the problem. But we have to step we have to step up against that with a real strength that says we're about something different, okay? So a couple of phrases is you can use when you, when you know someone is stirring up strife, uh, but you're just not sure what, what to say or what to do. You can say, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know if this conversation is good for me to hear. I don't know if this conversation, especially in this tone, is good for me to hear. You know, I have a seven-year-old daughter, and this is the time of year where we're watching football games, and there's lots of, like, horror movies that are out now, and they show these trailers on TV during the commercials, and it's always this, like, race to find the remote control and, like, change the channel or, like, cover her eyes or whatever else. And, um, but it's like, we know that's not appropriate for her. So it's like, who has the remote? Who has the remote? And she's like, ah, you know. Or it's, like, just a race to, like, cover eyes. But in conversation, sometimes things are being thrown at us and we're like, I'll just listen to the whole trailer. But we know that's not for our ears. We know it's not for our ears. So we've got to say, listen, change the channel. Change the channel. There's a better channel. This is not the channel for me. I should not be listening and watching this channel. Or you can say, it sounds like you still have more to pray through. You know what? It, it sounds like you still have more to pray through and maybe discuss with this person instead of me. Does that feel weird to say that? My question is, why not? We as a people who chapter one through three is true of us, but we're about something that's bigger and better, why can't we say, man, it just sounds like I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to point you vertical? Why can't I just vent? Why can't you just let me vent? 
And I say, you can vent all you want, but vent vertical. Vent vertical. Have you taken this to the Lord yet? Has this even, it's just, should this even be coming to me? It should not be coming to me until you've gone to the Lord with it. Psalm 139, I think it's on the slide, potentially. I've got it in my Bible too. <laughs> uh, Psalm 139. You're giving this person a great opportunity. Where is Psalms? Okay, here it is. Uh, Psalm 139, uh, 20, 23 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me to the way everlasting. Man, we as a people have got to be a people who point. We got, a people who, we got to be a people who point people in the right direction. So it's like somebody comes to you with this kind of stirring up strife. We got to be a people who say like, man, I, I love you. So I'm going to point you to the, to the Lord. Have this experience. Have this venting with the Lord. Hey, they don't scare him. But when you do that, he's going to set you right. Or we point them to the right person. This conversation is not about me. This, person, this conversation is about somebody else. You need to go vertical, and then you need to go to them. Because that's where the solution is. The solution's not here where I'm having a different opinion about this person the more, the more you talk. And so but the problem is, like, this is just, this is uh, normative, right, in our culture. I mean, this is like the norm is we have been trained on talk shows and social media and all that kind of stuff. We've been trained to just debate and argue and just mouth off in all the wrong ways. It's like, I'm just, I'm just expressing myself. I'm just venting, right? We just, we just bark because <laughs> that's like normative in our culture. And so we try and bring dysfunctional relational ways into this. And he's saying, but like, what happened to chapter one through three? Something is very different about you. Something's very distinct about you as a people. And so sin will always unify. Sin unifies with sin. Right? And so when there's like strife and that kind of thing, sin wants to attach to that sin. So we've got to be a people who are just better than that. Ephesians 4 at the end of Ephesians 4, this is an incredible passage. It says, uh, verse 29, 429, uh, Ephesians 429, says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Let no corrupting talk or unwholesome talk, your translation may say. And with that corrupting word is fascinating. Somewhere else in Scripture, Jesus is actually re referring to a, a rotten fish. Same, same language. He said, your, your, your breath smells like a rotten fish. What is coming out of your mouth is like a rotten fish, as opposed to that which is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. We've got to be a people who speak grace and not have fish breath. Uh, my seven-year-old, I'm like super obsessed with brushing teeth. I like That is like the thing in my family. Love Jesus and brush your teeth. It's like, those are like the two things. And uh, my kids, they somehow try and squirm out of brushing their teeth before bed. Even my teenagers, I'm like, did you brush your teeth? You know, they're like, yeah, dad, you've been asking, asking that question every day. But my seven-year-old, she tries to brush her teeth. She brushes her teeth every single night, Ashley. And, um, and then I'm like, prove it. And she comes up and she gets right up in my face and opens up her mouth, like over my nose, goes, ah, smell it. 
You know, I'm like, it smells minty. Thanks, Annie. That's really sweet. But like, we have got to be okay with that. Even as a people, like, let's open our mouth to each other and open it up and say, ah, that's minty. That's minty. Let no corrupting talk come out of our mouth, but only that which is good for building up. We've got to be a grace-filled people. We've just got to be a grace-filled people. So we've got to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit by, by allowing no unwholesome talk and pointing people in the right direction. So that's, that's um, conflict, or that's, that's uh, yeah, that's conflict that doesn't really involve us, but it's also con- there's conflict that involves us, where we're maybe at the root of it, or we're right in the middle of it, or we caused it. And so there is so much we could do an entire like training session on how to how to um, resolve con- conflict biblically. So in your sermon notes on the Church Center app, I've actually linked a couple things there. There's um, just resources there. Uh, there's a PDF that is attached there that is like really extensive about biblical uh, con- conflict resolution. Uh, it's like a field guide on there. And it'll walk you through like really practical steps on if I find myself in conflict, here are the steps which we will take as a, as a people. Uh, there's also uh, a list on there of 10 questions that you should ask, that you should self, self-assess first. Questions you ask yourself first before you confront somebody else. Okay. And so there's just a ton of practical stuff on there. A lot of that is like begins with getting the log out of your own eye before you ask about the spec in your brother's eye, and um, restoration to go and gently restore your brother and then go and be reconciled. There is a step-by-step process in that little manual uh, that maybe uh, you can even discuss that more extensively in small group this this week. But they're really practical. The Bible, uh, it's like God knew this was going to happen, right? So he gave us practical advice on how to do that. And so... um, that is all for the sake of being eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. But the reason that we do that is because there's a bigger picture at play here, right? There's a bigger picture at play, so it's worth fighting for unity and fighting for wholesomeness and not corruption because we want to fight for each other, right? We don't want to fight against each other. We want to fight for each other because there's something bigger that's happening here. I think about family road trips, right? Where I've got a bunch of kids and they're in the back seat and we're like halfway on this road trip. It's this incredible adventure and we're going somewhere. We've got this big plan and they're like bickering in the back about like somebody taking up too much room or somebody not sharing a snack or whatever else. And you find yourself just like in the middle of this thing, like, like just stop it, stop it. But instead it's like, guys, have you forgotten what we're doing here? Have you forgotten that like we have been placed in this car as a family and we're going somewhere together? We're on this adventure together. We have a destination. We're going somewhere together. Whatever it is that you're fighting about, it cannot be as important about where we're going together. So I think sometimes we forget this as a church where we're just like, oh, we just kind of get in the mundane and just sort of like the, oh, it's another week, it's another week, we'll fight about this, we'll fight about that, and we'll bicker with, with, with each other. Because we've forgotten, what are we doing here? Where are we going? Why are we here? Why in the world do we gather here on Sunday mornings? Why do we read our Bibles? How do we do these disciplines? 
It's like, there's just something bigger at play here. And so what happens, number three is this, in verse four. It's beautiful how Paul, the Holy Spirit, gives, gives, gives us this. It says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and the Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So we protect unity, number three. We protect unity and health by putting first things first. We just put first things first. It's like, what really matters here? And Paul says there's a seven-way tie for first place here. There's a seven-way tie for first place of what we need to be about. What's the main thing? Keep the main thing the main thing. What is the main thing? What is the thing that unifies us as a people? Paul's saying, this is the thing. You ever said to somebody, well, well, well here's the thing. You know, you talk, 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 talk. Here's the thing. This is Paul saying, here's the thing, guys. This is it. This is what brings us together as a people. This is what distinguishes us as a people of Exchange Church. These ones here. These ones. These are the things that matter. Last week we talked about worthless things, right? Like when you bicker and you fight about things that are worthless. This is the thing that's worth it. These are, these are mattering things. And so unity will always be like this shifting, moving target if it's not rooted in these first things first. These are the first things first. Um, and I have to mention this because this is just the beauty of Scripture here. If you look at this list of seven, you've got one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. And so what you see here is there, you cannot deny, you cannot miss this Trinitarian feel here, emphasis here of Father, Son, and Spirit. They're doing this triunity, right, this triunion here of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, um, and so Paul is saying here that unity is really rooted in this Holy Trinity. The Trinity has shown us how to submit, right? It's shown us how, how to submit. It's shown us how to be different and be one. And so, um, again, just kind of deep theology there, but it's, it's incredible how Paul makes that, that point. So the Trinity is central to Paul's discussion on unity. But I'm going to run through these really quick, but I want, to, I, want to, I want to kind of zoom in on one of them, okay? So one body. Again, we talked about this on week, week one, but one body made up of different parts. Again, in chapter two, he says, so that you are no longer citizens and, and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with, sorry, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. So we're unified as one body. There are so many differences among us. Even as I look out this morning, so many differences, but God gives us one body. He puts us together and says there's so many parts that then those members become one, one body. You can wear, like I could have you all wear the same shirt, but that doesn't mean we're unified in heart. That just means we're uniform, right? If I can give you a uniform, that doesn't mean we're unified, okay? Uh, quick story. I remember when I was doing student ministry up in Richmond, we took a mission trip up to New, New Jersey to, do, uh, to work with a church plant. We came back and we went to Manhattan 
New York City uh, for like our, our free day or whatever. And this youth pastor with a bunch of teenagers decided it would be a great idea to give them t-shirts and make them all wear the same t-shirt. Teenagers love that. Those girls were so mad at me. They were like, we picked out our outfit for Times Square. I have the perfect dress for Times Square. And I was like, why are you from Beverly Hills? But they were like, but instead I got them these stupid t-shirts that said like entrusted with the gospel. And like those kids didn't want to wear a shirt that said entrusted with the gospel, but we did it. I made them and their hearts were not unified at all. But we looked like we were unified. But this is different. This is talking about unity in the heart, right? It's talking about different parts that are making up one body. And it talks about one spirit. And man, there's a whole sermon series here about this one spirit, how we have the same spirit in this room this morning. It's not different spirit over here on the cool side of the room. Or is this the cool side of the room? I can't remember. Um, Or a different spirit here. We have got one spirit that indwells each of us. That is the thing Paul's like, here's the thing, man, you've got the same spirit. This matters. This is a mattering thing, not who you choose to cheer for, who you choose to vote for, who you choose to whatever for. The mattering thing is that we have one spirit. It is the thing that unifies us. One hope, man, this is, this is the thing, right? One hope that we have the gospel. Our story, everybody in this room who is a believer in Christ, we entered into this thing the same way. We were rescued, that Ephesians 2 stuff. We were rescued, but God in his mercy, because he was full of mercy, he rescued us, not by our own faith, but by, but by I mean, not by our own works, but by, but by grace. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, like, remember the thing I said to you? It was, first, it was of first importance, which was the gospel. This was number this was number one. It's the thing that got us in this thing is going to keep us in this thing is going to help us get through this life. And it's the hope that we have at the end of this whole thing is the gospel. Our hope is not in earthly things to come, but a new, a new earth. And so I want to come back to the one Lord part, but we'll jump into one, one faith. Christ is the object of our faith. This is the thing. This is number, number five. The thing that unifies us is that we all have different faith stories, right? If you go around this room, we'd all have like different stories, but yet um, we all have the same, the same faith. We all had to believe in the same Lord, okay? And so it's always fun when you, when you meet a believer and you kind of like figure out that person's a, a believer and you're like, oh, you too, you too, like we're on the same, we're the same team, like we're the same, that, that happened to you too. I have this one toe on my right foot that just decided it wanted to leave my body at one point. It's just like, it's like so crooked. It's so messed up, but it just like wants to leave. But the other day, it took me like many years to figure this out. One of my sons has the same toe. And I was like, I'm so sorry. Me and you, dude. Me and you. We're like the crooked toe guys. But like when you meet other believers, you're like, we've got the same thing, man. Like that's us. That's what unifies us is this unbelievable rescue story of our faith. And then one baptism, man, baptism is such an unbelievable picture. We're going to do a couple of them next week at the uh, pig picking. We're going to baptize in barbecue sauce. I'm kidding. In water. No, but we're bat- But what baptism is, is you are saying, it's this unified. Yes. It's like, I said, yes. Did you do that? Yes, I did that. I said, yes. From the top of my head to the bottom of my feet, 
I said yes, and I was completely dunked under to say yes to Christ. All that I have is now yours. It's that gentleman's handshake where I'm saying, hey, all that I am is yours now. And so we have that together as people like that happened to you too, that baptism, same deal, man. We're in the same thing together. We have one God, one father, same dad, same dad here. That means we're family. What unifies us is we look and we say, man, we got the same dad, one God, one father. He's over all and through all and in all. And yet he chooses us. But I want to go back to one Lord. I really want to sit here really been pressing on me this, this week and really for, for the last month or so, just the concept of one, one Lord. Because I think this is the one that's being most threatened, the concept of us having one Lord together. Because your Lord is where you put your attention. Right? Your, your Lord is where you put your eyes. It's what gets your best. It's what gets your best time and your best attention. Luke 10, just a, a familiar story. We all know pretty, pretty well. Um, Luke 10, verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet. And listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. Has anybody here ever, ever been distracted? And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me alone to serve? Has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me, Jesus. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled. Does that sound like us? You're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. This is, here's the thing, Martha. This is the thing. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So it's anxious and troubled, distracted. I was reading something this, this week um, by a guy named John Tyson, pastor up in New York, and he said, commentators note that the root meaning of distracted really means to be pulled apart. To be distracted means to be pulled apart. And the translation of the verb troubled literally means to be dragged away. So to be pulled apart and dragged away. If that doesn't describe the frustration of our lives, I don't know what does. You think about your life, we think about our lives, and we say, man, how am I pulled apart and dragged away? So we're fractured, we're pulled apart, especially in our attention. We're unable to be present and attend to what is in front of us. Do y'all feel this? You feel this, I can't pay attention the things that matter. And we're being dragged away. We're constantly being robbed of the gift of presence. A study from the, um, in, in California noted that a, a typical person is distracted every 12 minutes of the day. We're interrupted every 12 minutes of the day. Classic quote by Blaise pa Pascal said, what's wrong with the world today is a man being unable to sit alone in his room for an hour. So we're pulled apart 
and were dragged away. But yet we say we have one Lord. We have one place where our attention is. But the problem is that's just flat out not true. We as a people, myself included, are so unbelievably distracted, so pulled apart and dragged away. This was the, this was the genesis of like this whole women's retreat thing. We've got 20 women at a women's retreat right now. And we said, like, we're not bringing in speakers. We're not bringing in a band. We're not doing that kind of stuff. We're literally giving them an opportunity to have space where they put their phones in a basket and they literally attend to the Lord, and they feel how broken their rhythms are and how broken their attention is. And we say, like, I'm just going to attend to the Lord, and then he will, like Psalm 116 said, he will tend to me. He will return my soul to rest. We will regain our humanity. We've lost our humanity. And so we're pulled apart and we're dragged away. We're, I think we're so anxious and depressed <laughs> Because we're distracted every 12 minutes. Um, He's just not our Lord. Our eyes are elsewhere. We're becoming like that which which has our attention. Our attention is shot. Right? Martha says, Martha was distracted with blank. My question to us is, how would you fill in that blank? I am distracted with blank. Good small group question. The king is literally in the room. Jesus is literally in the room. And Mary has chosen the good portion. He says one thing. This is the thing that matters more than anything else. I'm not saying serving doesn't matter, but this thing is definitely more important than that thing. The king is is in the room. And our minds and eyes are everywhere else. The reason I say this today, because we're talking about protecting the unity and health of exchange, I have concerns as a pastor about, me included, our health as a people. Mental, emotional, relational, spiritual health. Because we're so unbelievably dragged away and pulled apart. And so one of my commitments as a pastor here, as I help with discipleship, is to say, hey, 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 best portion. Best portion. And so I will, without apology, try my best to point us to this is the good portion. And I I know the world has got lots of glittery things that it wants to drag your, pull, pull your attention away to. But I think we as a people have got to help each other say to be our really most healthy, we got to protect our health by giving our first eyes to him, to Christ, to be absolutely obsessed with him. And this is the other concern. I believe that this, this year, not like really any other year, but really 2024, you know what's happening. It has such a high potential <laughs> to drag us away and pull us apart. Such a high potential to pull us apart and drag us away. And so we want as a, as a elder team and as staff and as each other to fight for each other's health. We need to fight un- unapologetically for each other's health and say, listen, the way to be healthy is to sit at his feet. The king 
is in the room. Whatever has your affections and your heart, the king is in the room. Like the forever king, not like the four-year king. The forever king. And so this is the year of the good portion. I want this to be the year of the good portion for us as, as a church. Why? Why say all of that? I can't help but notice um, if you look at Acts, if you look at Acts 20, this is such an incredible, incredible passage. This is Paul, the one who wrote Ephesians, at, at the end of it, at the end of his, his, his life, and he knows imprisonment and affliction is awaiting him. Uh, 20, 20, in 20 verse 23, the Holy Spirit has told them, him that in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await him. And verse 24 is just so fascinating. Paul says this, he says, But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only. This is the thing. Here's the thing. This is what it all comes down to. First things first. I, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. When you boil it all down, of all the things that matter, of all the things that are really important, Paul says, this is, this is it. Like, this is why I was put on this planet, and this is what I'm going to do until the very end. And I don't think it's, I don't know if it's coincidence or whatever, but this happens to be chapter 20, verse 24. Potentially, this could be like a theme verse for us, 2024. What would it take exchange 2024 to say, you know what? My, my life matters, but I don't account of my life of any value nor is precious to myself. This is Jesus saying, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. If only this is the one thing I'm going to give everything to. That I'm going to finish my course and, I'm, um, and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. This is the thing that, that matters most. And so choose wisely in the year to come. So we want as a church to say, like, man, let's fight to protect the unity and health of each other by helping each other choose wisely. Choose the good portion. And so we want to help you say, what things should you be reading this year? Have you, do you have a plan? Or are you just going to let it happen to you? I'm just going to watch this as much as I possibly can. I'm going to watch these news sources. I'm just going to thumb my way through the year. Or we can say, no, 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 I'm going to like be ahead of the game here and I'm going to have an actual plan. I'm going to choose what I'm not going to do and I'm going to choose what I am going to do. But it's going to revolve around the best portion. I love the way Eugene Peterson puts it in the message, the way he puts this verse. He says, what matters most to me is to finish what God started the job the master Jesus gave me of letting everyone I meet know about this incredibly extravagant generosity of God. The reason I think we quarrel and the reason I think that we bicker and lose focus is because we've just forgotten what it's about. We're in the backseat of the car bickering about things that don't matter. And, and Paul here is saying, like, there's a, there's a task. There's an aim there is a reason in which I put you on this planet, and it is literally to share with the world that which chapter 1 through 3 said is true of you. 
And I think sometimes, I hate to say this, but you feel like life's just boring. You ever felt like life's boring? You get to this place and you're like, what's, what is next? Like, what's missing here? Like, we get excited about things like Prime Day. Right? It's like, oh, we get to, like, save some money on Prime and spend more money to make a man rich. We get excited about that stuff. That is, like, so sad. We've got to be caught up in something bigger that matters. We've just got to be caught up in this unbelievable story. I've got a buddy who, um, he's a friend of mine. He's a friend of many of yours, of, of you. And uh, he, he sent me a voice message uh, yesterday and was just like, he's just engaged in it. I mean, that's just the way to put it. He's just all in. He's just engaged in it, and he's got me praying for three guys who he's connected with and he's trying to share Christ with. And there's this tone in his voice that's just like, I'm in the middle of something huge here. I have no idea what I'm doing or even what I'm saying, but God has invited me into this massive story that I get to be a part of. He's just like so full of life because he's doing what he was put on this planet to do. He's doing what we were put on this planet to do. We just don't have time or energy to argue and be frustrated about meaningless matters. But he told me a story about his, his neighbor who he's been connecting with, who's 46 years old. 46 years old. He just met him. They got in a conversation, and he said, hey, would you like to read the book of Mark with me? They get like four, ver- like six verses, I think, through the book of Mark. And he's like, this guy wants to, this guy says, the light is coming on. What have I been doing for 46 years? My eyes have been in the wrong place for 46 years. And my buddy gets to say like, and I got to witness that. When's the last time you got to witness that? When's the last time you got to be engaged in God just turning the light bulb on for somebody? And you're like, I cannot believe I'm in the presence of watching this happen. I don't think there's anything that's more thrilling and invigorating. I just don't think there's anything else in this world. If you, if you don't find yourself in those situations, man, we want to help you get in those situations. We want to help you be obedient to being like, man, this is the thing. This is the task. This is the aim, right? Today is a gift. We've got to make Jesus our aim. And other people need him so bad. Just telling you the tone of this guy's voice, he's caught up in something. This year, as we choose the right portion, I want us to be caught up in something. So we say, we're going to fight for the unity and health of exchange as we go after something tremendous together. So we get to do really important things together. We get to do that together, the purpose of why we were put on planet Earth. We also get to eat together, right? Christ gave us the Lord's table. He gave us this supper this experience where he says, I want you to remember often whenever you gather. I want you to remember what is true of you and what I did on your behalf to welcome you into this, this family. And so it's really special that we get to do this together as a people, as we talk about unity and health, right? That we together as a family get to come up and we get to take the bread and we get to take uh, the juice 
and we get to eat together. Communion, right? Community union. It's like a union statement. We're unified around the blood and the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 11 says it like, like this. Uh, the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So as, as a family, we have an opportunity to proclaim the death and the sacrifice of the Lord this morning as a, as a family, as a unified family. Say, this is a mattering thing. This, this is the ones, right? This is, here's the thing. This is the thing this morning. So the way we're going to do this this morning is uh, I would like to invite you to come up after I pray. And um, I'm going to pray for our time together of um, taking the Lord's Supper. And then um, I want you to take the elements, the bread, and the juice and take it uh, back to your seats. And as a family or as a community or by, by, your, by yourself, have a moment with uh, the Lord. And when you're, when you're ready for that, uh, you can take that on your own. And then we'll, we'll, um, we'll continue and close out our service in Worship and there's also an opportunity. If this morning you're just like it's not, this isn't. I can't do this today. That's okay. That's okay. Um, or maybe you're just dealing with some stuff, or challenged, or the spirit's been really moving this morning. You just need to go connect with some of our prayer partners that are in the in the, in the back. Go behind the curtain. All they're going to do is just pray for you. All you got to do is walk up to them and say, "Hey, will you pray pray for me?" You can tell them some of the details. You don't even have to just say, "Just pray for me." So let's pray together. Um, and again, the table at exchange is for those who um, it's open. You don't have to be a member here, but it's open for those who are walking in relationship with Christ and have said that this matters, this matters for my life. So let's pray together, and then you can have that experience of taking the supper. God, we are so thankful uh, that you've given us a reason to live. God, you've given us a purpose. We, um, you've unified us in this um, wild uh, group of just different people to be unified around things that truly matter. God, we don't, we don't want to be about worthless things. We want to spur one another on to things that truly matter for eternity. And so, God, we can't do that unless you've already enacted something and made something true about us. We're so thankful for the sacrifice of Jesus this morning it is the thing that unifies us. So God, as we take the cup this morning and we eat of the bread, God, help us to remember, to remember you, to remember what was done, to remember the door that got us in and help us to receive with gratitude. We want to be a grateful people for what you have done for us. And God, for those this, this morning that um, just maybe aren't quite prepared for this moment, God, I pray that you would be near to them. You would be with them as, as, as they sit in their space. God, that you would hold them. God, cover them. 
And Lord, I pray that this is um, just an act of worship as we eat and be together and celebrate what you have done for us. God, we love you. So thankful. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.